Amen. If you've got a Bible, please do open Luke 24. We're going to read from verses 44 through to 53. Um, A really warm welcome. I want to say an especially warm welcome if you're new here. It is our joy to welcome lots of new people here. Whether you're new to church or new to this church or maybe just exploring following Jesus, you are so welcome here. Before we read the Bible today, I want to ask you a question. What do you think is the biggest need in the church today? What is the biggest need in the church today? I, uh, we are a, a church that's called a resource church. We are um, commissioned to help resource ministry across the diocese. I was up in Fenham this week, a fantastic church called Holy Cross uh, with a good friend of mine, Dan. And, uh, and I asked the congregation, it's slightly smaller, so I could chat to them. And I said, what do you think the church most needs? And lots of good answers. People talked about volunteers. People talked about more money. People talked about more influence. And, and all of those, to some extent, get at something. We're going to return to that question in a moment. What do you think the church most needs? Let's read Luke 24, verse 44 through to 53. Jesus has uh, risen from the grave and he appears to his disciples. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago in our vision series, Ben opened with this quote from David Watson. The crisis of the church today is not primarily doctrinal or moral, serious as these are. Above all, we face a crisis of powerlessness. We need, what does the church need? We need, more than anything else, spiritual renewal. As Ben said, much has changed in the last 40 years. But it is hard to conclude that the need of the church has, in this regard, changed. We still need spiritual renewal, or else we will be powerless. The opposite of being powerless is, of course, to be empowered. And that is our three-week series that we're kicking off today. What does it mean to be empowered? And we're starting today with uh, this week that we just read about called The Ascension. The ascension is the final event in the life of Jesus on earth, where he, as we read, is lifted up to the Father. And this is a central event to understanding what it means to be empowered. 
And because we are not empowered just by a good thought or a good vibe or a nice idea. We are empowered by the presence of God, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. In John 7, Jesus says this. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And John says, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the Spirit had not been given. Why? Jesus had not been glorified. Until Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, the Spirit who empowers us does not come. If we are a church with a crisis of powerlessness in our nation, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit, today is a good day to pray for it. In the ascension, Jesus goes from being in one place, ministering through his physical body, to being in every place, ministering through his spiritual body, the church. And that is what empowers us. So what does this life look like? We're going to look today that we are empowered through God's word, verses 44 through to 45, by God's spirit, verses 46 through to 49, and then finally for God's glory. So let's start then through God's word. Jesus has just a few moments with his disciples, a few days with his disciples before he ascends to his father. And what does he spend the time doing? He he spends the time teaching them. But what he teaches them about the Bible might surprise us, even if we come to church regularly. Let's start with verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me. Where? Throughout the New Testament, Jesus. No, that hadn't yet been written. Throughout the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Throughout the Old Testament. Now we saw this in our Jesus in the New Testament, uh, the Old Testament series, didn't we? That Jesus is promised in the Old Testament, that he's present in the Old Testament and that he's patterned in the Old Testament. But this gives us a, like an inside personal look at how Jesus understood himself and his ministry. Jesus did not think of himself as some sort of maverick coming to replace the old. He, come, he saw himself as, as the anointed one coming to fulfill the old. He understood himself in that manner. And I say this because I think that many of us still have this kind of weird approach to the Old Testament where we're like, oh, the Old Testament, that's like the angry part of God. And then the New Testament, that's like the nice part of God. And I want the nice part of God, so I'm going to read the the nice part of God in the New Testament. Jesus did not understand the Bible like that. And I don't want us to either. I want to read the Bible the way that Jesus read the Bible. Do you want that? Two people in this church want that. Isn't that good? Do you want to read the Bible like Jesus read the Bible? Read your Old Testament and see how it points to Jesus. Secondly, verse 46 He said this, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. What we learn here is that there is a spiritual dynamic to reading the Bible, which makes us dependent on God. 
Reading the Bible is not just a comprehension task. This week there was a story in the news of some year six teachers who were very upset because their year six sats, um, they were, their students were given uh, a comprehension task which they felt was, was too hard, that wasn't appropriate for them. Uh, they were asked to read a journal, an article from the New York Times and these teachers were saying it would be far better if they read some fiction. I have not got an opinion on that. I am not qualified on that one. But, um, but those are two different genres of writing, yeah? Um, and sometimes I think we lump the Bible into like another one of those. You can either read the New Testament, you could read something from the Bible, you could read something from the New York Times, you could read something from fiction. They're slightly different, but we all basically read them the same way. What Jesus is saying is that the Bible is not like that. You do not need to have your mind opened by God to understand the story of Harry Potter. You do not need to have your mind opened by God in order to read The Guardian and understand what the author was expressing. You do need your mind to be opened by God to read the Bible and understand what he is saying. And we get into a trouble with this because we tend to relegate the Bible as sort of like the Bible is a, is a comprehension task that's down here, right? And then hearing God is like a, a, a huge thing that's up here. And this must be like all of your prophetic words and your words of knowledge and everything else. And if we see this in this way, that the Bible is like you're just you're like your common garden reading a bit about God, but this is the exciting spiritual stuff, that will stop us being empowered. It will stop us being empowered for the ministry that Jesus has for us. So I want to take a two-minute deep dive into the difference between revelation and illumination. Can everyone say revelation? revelation. Can everyone say illumination? Revelation is the one true, verifiable account of who God is. Illumination is meeting that God for ourselves. Yeah? Revelation is an object that we know nothing about being brought into a room. Illumination is the lights being turned on so we can actually see it. The two are completely tied together. The Bible is revelation. The work of the Holy Spirit is illumination. One of my favourite theologians, a guy called Herman Bavinck, um, wrote in the 1900s, Dutch Reformed theologian, he said this, the objective revelation in Scripture must be completed in subjective illumination, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know about Herman Bavinck, he was like one of the most insane intellectual minds of his age. He wrote um, multiple volumes of works just on who God is. What's he saying? He's saying you can't read the Bible like you read every other text. He might have been fluent in Greek and Hebrew and, uh, and Latin. He might have read the, uh, the, the Greek philosophers for himself, but he's saying the Bible doesn't work like all the rest of them. How does the Holy Spirit illuminate? Well, there are multiple ways. The primary way is something I hope we experience here in small groups or on a Sunday or when we're reading the Bible by ourselves. Do you ever have that where you read a passage and it feels like you have been cut in two and put back together at the same time? 
It's like the passage comes alive to you, jumps off the page and grabs you and pulls you into a different world. That's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. That's the primary way that God illuminates this text. But there is another way, and I want to speak into it today, and that is words of knowledge and prophecy and impressions. Because sometimes we put these on a pedestal that are above the Bible. And that's not healthy and it's not helpful. What the illumination of the Holy Spirit does is it applies the text to our context. Let me give an example. In the Bible it says, by Jesus' wounds we are healed, Isaiah. That we will do greater things even than Jesus did. That Peter's shadow even his shadow brought healing to people. So when you're in church and you see someone, you think, I need to go and pray for healing for them. You just have a sense that God's drawing you to them. What is God doing? Is he giving you a new revelation of who he is? No, he's always been healer. He's always wanted to bring wholeness to his people. What he's doing is he's illuminating his word so we can see how it applies now. If you want to hear God's voice, read the Bible. If you want to grow in hearing God's voice, read the Bible. If you want clearer illumination, read the Bible and pray for the Holy Spirit. It's a bit like, it's a bit like logs in a fire, right? There are logs in a fire that are dry and ready to be burnt, but you need the fire to actually light them. I believe that one thing that we have got to get clear is this, that there there is a temptation in our generation to expect the fire when we haven't put logs there. We are asking for the fire of God to fall, but there are no logs for it to fall on because we do not have a clue what is in this book half the time. If you want to grow in prophetic words, There is only one way to start, and that is to read God's written word in the Bible. Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. What logs are you placing in the fire? What does that look like for you on a day-to-day basis? We're going to talk about that in small groups this week. Secondly, we are empowered by God's Spirit. And we're empowered not just to apply God's word to us, but to apply it to the rest of the world. Not just to understand God's word for ourselves, but to enact it in the world. Let's look at verses 46 through to 49, which is a section all about God's promises. Verse 46. Jesus told them, this is what is written. And then he goes on to talk about some of the prophecies that he's fulfilled. First thing to take away from this verse, God's promises are and will be fulfilled. His kingdom is increasing. Jesus is saying, look, it was written, the Messiah is going to suffer and then he's going to rise again. And look, I'm right in front of you. He's saying, look, it was written that repentance and forgiveness for sins would be preached. And look, I'm telling you, come to me and have eternal life. And the thing that follows on from there is that the gospel go out into every single nation. Jesus is saying, look, if the first promises were good, if God was faithful the first ones, why would you doubt 
that he'd be faithful with the latter. The gospel is going to go out to the nations because God's promises are good. Secondly, the disciples will have a part to play. Verse 48, you are witnesses to these things. He's saying it's not just that God is going to do this and you're going to watch. He's saying you are witnesses to what has already happened. You are going to have a part to play. The same passage in the book of Acts puts it like this. And you will be my witnesses. It's an active work. And that's part of what Jesus does in the ascension is that he goes to the Father so that we can play our part. He goes to the Father and sends his spirit and he still does on earth now everything that he was doing then, only he does it through his people. He's still bringing healing, but he does it now through his people. He's still challenging injustice and he does it through his people. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. How? through his people thirdly then and what an almighty task that is how on the earth are we going to do it I am going to send you what my father has promised he promises them the power to play their part Jesus has these amazing people around him. When we read their lives and we read the lives of the men and the women in the early church, we are struck by how extraordinary they are. But it's notable that Jesus did not choose them for their intellectual capacity or their moral uprightness. That is not why he chose them. Jesus didn't choose people who were exceptional at what they did. He chose people who would be exceptional at waiting on his power. And I think that we need to hear this today because I don't know about you, but um, when I want to share my faith or pray for someone for healing, the, the default like, thought within me is, but can I do it? I want to share a short story from um, a couple of months ago. I went for a checkup at, um, at the RVI just for a, a long-term condition. And um, I went in and I said to my consultant, hey, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm, I'm all right, except I got out of the car this morning and I've, I've really hurt my back. I said, oh dear. Um, anyway, we went on for our, our normal consultation and, uh, and I did what every good Christian would do. I spent um, 10 minutes not at all listening to what he was saying, but wondering in my mind, am I going to share my faith? Am I not going to share my faith? I'm going to pray for him. Am I not going to pray for him? Is that even allowed in the hospital? He got to the end, he's like, he's like have you got any questions? Uh, honestly, he could have just given me his pin number, his bank details, and an island in the Seychelles. I would have had no idea what he had just said. Um, but I said, uh, can I can I pray for you? He said, uh, he said, yeah, sure. I think he think, thought I meant like just by myself at home. And uh, I said, can I, can I pray for you now? Can I put my hand on your back and pray for you? He's like, yeah, I, I suppose so. Now at this point, I was so tempted to be like, okay, doctor, just lie down here, please. Pull your shirt up, take a deep breath in. Um, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't. Um, but I put my hand on his back and I, and I said, Lord, thank you. Would you send your Holy Spirit? And I just prayed a simple prayer of healing. And, uh, and then he said, oh, thank you. And I said, how are you feeling? And he said, actually, a lot, like a lot better. A lot of that pain has gone. 
Now I know that at this point, I should have been, I should have like been like expecting that, right? But I was flawed. And I was like, I was like, I was like, oh, that's great. I was like, I was like oh, that does happen actually sometimes. <laughs> I, I, and then I told him a story of someone else had been healed and he looked at me like, sweetie, your 10 minutes is up and this has been completely weird anyway. Um, I did not have a brilliant gospel explainer. I did not have a tract hidden up my sleeve. I did not uh, pray a beautifully eloquent prayer. But guess what? That day, my doctor experienced something of the power of God. You know, I share that story because I think that sometimes on Sunday we come here and we expect that how we would minister to our friends and our family and our colleagues during the week is, is like the same as what we do on a Sunday. Like if you come here and you think, oh wow, like sermons at St. Thomas has just explained the gospel so clearly. Guess what? We spend a lot of time writing sermons so we can explain the gospel clearly. How I explain the gospel in three minutes with my doctor is not how I explain the gospel on Sunday because I've spent the last 20 hours this week reading this text and praying about it and I had all of 14 seconds to try and find something to say to my doctor. Don't get into a point where you're like, I could share my faith here, but I haven't got the perfect words. Jesus does not want you to have the perfect words. He wants you to be clothed with power from on high. It's the same with praying for healing. It's like, oh, at church, the mood just feels exactly right to pray for healing. Yeah, of course it does. We spend the last like hour and a half declaring the faithfulness of God. We're all open to praying for healing, right? <laughs> like if you're not open to praying for healing at that point, you've done something wrong in the, like, the last hour and a half. So of course you lay hands on someone and immediately it's like, wow, the power of God. Like that's, like that's why we gather to worship. It doesn't always feel like that during the week. It feels awkward. I pray for people on a daily basis laying on hands when I pray for someone who isn't a follower of Jesus, who's never experienced it before, it feels weird. It just does. Because they're like, what on the earth is going on? Like they're always doing that like, like one-eyed check and you're, and you're like, just, just close your eyes. Um, how you minister in the week is not going to look exactly the same as a Sunday. God is not looking for eloquence. He's looking for obedience. He's not looking for us to wait for the perfect moment. He's looking for us to wait on his power. Recently, I've started praying. Every time I pray, I say, Lord, send your Holy Spirit. And I say to the Lord internally, God, unless you show up here, I've got nothing. And I just start there. We're empowered through God's word by God's spirit. Finally, we're empowered for God's glory, verses 50 through to 56. At this point, Jesus' physical body is lifted up to heaven. And this is the event we're celebrating today, the ascension. Now, we could talk a lot about what the ascension means for us because it means beautiful things. It means that Jesus is praying for us at the right hand of the Father. That when we kneel in prayer before God about a situation, we're not kneeling by ourselves. We're kneeling next to Jesus who's already been praying for it amazing. We could talk about the fact that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Oswald Chambers said this, at his ascension, our Lord entered heaven and he keeps the door open for humanity to enter. It's beautiful. But specifically, I want to work out of this passage. And I want us to see this, that the ascension, our primary joy is not what it means for us, but what it means for him. 
Not what it means for us, but what it means for Jesus. Beth, my wife, um, did a PhD and finished uh, just at the start of the pandemic. Um, And like lots of graduations in the pandemic, it was cancelled. And when York University, I love them, Lord, but they do some things in a strange manner, got around to organising it three and a half years later, um, they... uh, we were split in our house as to whether we should go. One of us said, um, it is a monumental waste of time and money for a PhD that has already been awarded. The other person said, we should totally go for it. So much hard work was poured into this PhD. I wonder which one was which. I really hope that you assume the best of me um, and that I desperately wanted to go, best to go to her graduation. Why? Well, because when Beth handed in her PhD, all I could offer her was a hug and a well done because we were all socially isolated. I longed for her to hear the applause of thousands of people recognising the hours and hours that she'd put into it, but I couldn't give it to her. It was literally just me in our living room. There is nothing better than seeing the one you love receive the honour they deserve. And what do you think happened when Jesus entered heaven? Our greatest joy in the ascension is not what it means for us. It's what it means for him. The scene in heaven is extraordinary. Think of our Lord, humiliated and suffered and bleeding and dying for our sakes risen from the grave and now ascended to the right hand of the Father where he hears all of heaven roaring his name. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Thousands upon thousands of angels. There is no event on earth that even comes close. We watched the coronation with some friends. Um, So much fun. The coronation will look utterly bland and trivial and impoverished when stood next to that final day. The golden robe that was draped over King Charles will look as dull as brass when compared to the splendour of our King. The parade through the streets of Westminster will look like a children's playground game when put side by side with the parade through the streets of the New Jerusalem. And that is why, verse 50, they worshipped him. Empowerment starts with delighting in the Lord. If we want to be empowered, we have to start by delighting in the Lord. And so here's the question, is our delight in Jesus? This week it was announced um, that Tim Keller, the uh, incredible theologian, pastor, who has, I think, done more than many others uh, to shape this generation in love with Jesus, um, was discharged from hospice care. That was on Thursday night. And then, uh, well, sorry, Wednesday night. And then on um, Thursday morning, the news broke that um, Tim Keller had fallen asleep in Christ and gone to be with Jesus. His, some of his final words were shared by his family 
He said this, I'm thankful for all the people who have prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. Do we approach Jesus in that manner? Do we approach the ascension in that manner? Lord, I can't wait to see you glorified. You are so worthy to receive blessing and honour and glory and might. I can't wait to see Jesus. I long to see him glorified. Is that how we see our Lord? The Lord who looked on us with love, who travelled through the heavens and died for us that we may live with him, basking in his glory forever. Is that how we see the Lord? The ascension forces us to ask this question. Do we want to see our Lord glorified or do we just want him to see us through do we want to see our Lord glorified or do we just want him to see us through if we want to see our Lord glorified then we will be empowered to be his witnesses because Jesus is glorified when we step out in faith Jesus is glorified when we share our faith in weakness but clothed with power from on high Jesus is glorified when we open our word God's word and say Lord I long to be illuminated by your Holy Spirit The ascension forces us to ask this question. Do we long to see our Lord glorified? So how are we going to live differently this week? What has God been saying to you today about reading his word? What has he said to you today about stepping out in faith? Maybe it's not praying for a doctor. Maybe it's simply inviting that friend to church. Maybe it's simply saying to that person, I want you to know that there is more to life than this. And maybe today the Lord is challenging some of us. Is our delight truly in him do we delight in the saviour or do we delight in his service do we delight in the Lord or do we simply delight in something to do on a Sunday morning but the promise is this
that all of those who receive the Spirit of God, we will one day have this said of us. And they worshipped him. And they went to the new Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed forever in the heavenly temple, praising God. Let's stand.